Welcome to sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. Uh, Again, welcome to you this morning uh, to First Alliance Church. We are going to be concluding our series that we've been in this past month called Deep Roots. And so uh, I invite you to get a Bible handy as we prepare to do that. We've been considering in this series what it means to live and to see ourselves as a creative minority for Jesus, uh, living in a world that has all but pushed God out. And one of the things that I love about one of the main images of this series is, is this picture of a tree. So when, when you think about a tree, uh, one of the coolest things I find about a tree is, is that uh, when you see the trunk and the canopy of the tree, what you usually see above the soil, what you're really seeing is only about half the story, right? Uh, because trees don't just have you know a trunk and a canopy above the ground, they have roots and an entire system of roots underneath the ground that that isn't so easily seen. Tree roots can grow as deep into the ground as the tree is tall. Tree roots can extend like two to three times wider than the canopy of a tree. And the Bible uses the image of a tree as a picture for our spiritual life. In Psalm 1, it says that the person who walks in the way of God rather than the way of the world is like a tree planted by streams of water. And beneath the service of what's plainly visible in your life and in my life, uh, the person who is deeply rooted in God has access to resources that aren't obviously apparent. You have a deep access. You have a trust in God. You have a love for God. You have habits of prayer and of spiritual formation that are shaping you as a disciple of Jesus. And you have participation in this thing we call the church, the the life and mission of the people of God. It's this incredible adventure. And it means that when storms come or when pressures come, which they do, they inevitably do, you're able to stand with resilience and endure and even thrive in difficult circumstances. So today, what we're gonna do as we conclude our series is get into what is really the core message of the gospel that roots us as disciples of Jesus. Uh, And this is a message that Jesus didn't just speak, it's also one he embodied in his life. So please get a Bible out. We're gonna open to John chapter three. Verses 16 to 21. So John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21. And let me just set the scene for us. So this man named Nicodemus has come to Jesus at night. He's come to Jesus in the darkness. This is a powerful guy. He was part of the Jewish ruling council. And he was intrigued by Jesus because Jesus was teaching things and doing things that were extraordinary. But he's not yet ready to be seen with Jesus, if you know what I mean. And through their back and forth conversation, Jesus says this as we begin in chapter three, verse 16. Jesus says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. 
because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not, enter, will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Will you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come for the renewal of worship and witness. Even as you inspired John to record these words, so now, Holy Spirit, would you illumine our hearts and our minds to understand the message, the core message of Jesus, this this good news, this message of the gospel, that it might so deeply root us in you, that as we go deep, we would reach wide with your love. We pray this, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. In these verses, like I mentioned, Jesus shared what's really at the heart of the gospel. I mean, chances are this is probably one of the most popular Bible verses, you know, ever. It's John 3.16. It's one of the big ones. You probably have a cross stitch of it in your house somewhere. And what we're going to do today is first consider what we learn from this text about the world in which we live. Because Jesus shares some very important things about the world, and as we follow Jesus as a creative minority, we don't do that in a vacuum, we do that in the world. So we're going to consider what we learn about the way of the world, and second, we're going to consider what we learn about the way of Jesus. So first, the way of the world. The word world appears four times in our text. You probably noticed that. And it's a very important idea in John's gospel. But before we consider the way of the world, we need to notice an important truth that is really just at the front of the text that Jesus says. In verse 16, he says, God so loved the world. God so loved the world. I mean, this is a truth that sometimes gets lost as we look out into the chaos and brokenness of the world. We can kind of say, oh, this world, it's too far gone. Oh my goodness, will you just like get better already. And we need to notice that before Jesus goes into the brokenness and the darkness of the world, which he will, he announces the good news. The world is loved. The world is loved by God. And the word love here doesn't just mean an emotional feeling like like it's often thought of in our culture today. It means deep affection. It means unconditional love that acts. It means love that does not quit. It's a huge love. Notice how it's the world that Jesus loves. God so loved the world. The the word there is cosmos. It's where we get our English word cosmic. This love is a cosmic love. It's not just that God so loves those who are good and follows the rules and, and goes to church, though he does. It's that God loves the world. He loves the entire world. People of every culture and country. God's world is a worldwide love. But here's what we learn about the way of the world. That even though it's loved, in verse 19 it says, the world loved darkness. Check it out, verse 19. It says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness. Now, darkness is an image for for sin and for evil. And it's not lost on me that uh, for some of you listening uh, in our culture that our society thinks that 
darkness and sin and the devil are, are kind of made up ideas, right? They were ideas made up by religious institutions to control people. That the devil is some kind of boogeyman that the church invented to scare people into the pews. Now, let me just say, if you're from a non-Western culture, you're like, that's ridiculous. But this is a a syndrome particular to Western secular society. And and if that's how you viewed things that are transcendent, like spiritual powers or angels or the devil or even God himself in this way, I just want you to hear me out. The idea of sin and the devil in the Bible, they're not tools of oppression. They're, They're not instruments trying to control you. Here's what they are. They're a diagnosis. Sin and evil in the Bible are a diagnosis of the sickness that has infected the world. That there is evil in the world and that behind that evil there is a personal power that stands in opposition to God's will. When the Bible talks about these realities, friends, we can have a hard time hearing it because our Western society finds these realities unbelievable but they're given in the Bible as a diagnosis. You wanna know why the world is so screwed up. You wanna know why the world is so chaotic. It's because the devil, sin, and the world are in rebellion against God. Satan and sin are a diagnosis. So for those of you who've been to the doctor recently and maybe your doctor gave you a diagnosis, was your doctor trying to control you? Was your doctor trying to make you buy prescription meds that would heal you and there's some kind of sinister motivation? No, your doctor wants to help you get better. Your doctor is diagnosing so that you can get better and it's the same in the Bible. Sin and evil are a diagnosis so that we can get better or in the language of the text, that we can be saved. Verse 17 says, God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And the truth is, is that loving darkness leads to death. We need to know this as we want to follow Jesus. Loving darkness leads to death, but God sent his son to bring us out and to save us. Now, I want us to continue to, continue to consider this image of darkness again as we reckon with what it means to follow Jesus in the world and what we're up against. And so this image of darkness tells us a few things about sin. It gives us insight on how sin likes to operate. First is the most obvious thing, sin blinds us, right? That's, that's the most obvious thing. If you walk into a dark room where the lights go out, what happens? You cannot see. You cannot see. So sometimes when I'm closing the church, I'm in this room and I'll close the lights at the back of the sanctuary and it's way faster to go out this door than the back door. And so before I close out the lights, I will look and try and internalize the path, the right path to exit. Then I'll shut out the lights and try to walk that path. And, And then what happens is I smash my shin against the pew. This is hard oak pew. It's always the shins, right, that get smacked. Right, but when the darkness comes, I can't see the right path. That's what darkness does. It blinds us to the true path. But, but sin and, and darkness also deceives and disorders us. It deceives and disorders us. Check this out, verse 19 again. It says, this is the verdict, the light has come into the world, but people loved darkness. They loved darkness. This is about the desires of humanity. Because their deeds were evil, everyone who does evil hates the light. This is telling us that sin and evil actually mess with us. They mess with our desires and they shape us in such a way that 
doing evil makes us hate the light. Uh, When we're walking in darkness, we actually come to hate what's good for us and we come to love the things that will eventually kill us. That's what this is telling us. There is deception and disordered desire. First of all, deception as to what's right and what's wrong, right? And then disordered desire so that we go after and start to love what is wrong. So here's an illustration. Think about your eating habits. For me, my kryptonite is the potato chip. I love the potato chip. I'm not a sweet guy, I'm a savory guy. And I notice that the more I eat potato chips and I get the fat and the salt in me, the more I crave the same. The more I want potato chips and the look of an apple or a carrot or of yogurt is just like, oh, please, don't even give me that. I want the chips. It's the same thing here, only on a much deeper and much more serious level. Sin deceives us as to what's right and wrong and then it disorders us so that we want more of what's wrong and we hate what is right. That's what it does. And darkness provides the cover to to just keep us trapped in it because darkness makes us feel like nobody sees, right? Our wrong isn't exposed. And so we keep doing it. John Mark Comer is so helpful uh, when he says this. Um, He says that the devil's primary stratagem against us is deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires that are then normalized in the echo chamber of the world. The devil's primary stratagem against us is is deceptive ideas that play to our disordered desires that are then normalized in the echo chamber of the world. Let's dissect this a bit. Let's take an example from real life. So, so here's a lie from the devil that is just an attitude of our culture. You can't be happy unless you're romantically involved. You cannot live a, a fully human, fulfilled life unless you're romantically involved. And what does that deceptive idea do? It plays on our desire for connection and intimacy. And on some level, that desire is a God-given desire. We are created for connection. We are created to live in the presence of God. But it's disordered because now instead of going to God to have that desire met, we go to other people or to ourselves. And it's not his will that guides our desires. It's actually my will that reigns supreme. It's a deceptive idea that plays to my disordered desire and lures me in. And then it's just normalized in the world, right? Through sip sitcoms and the attitudes of culture, right? If enough people think it's true and it feels true, then it's taken to be true. You can't be happy unless you're romantically involved, right? We need to know that this is the primary stratagem that is seeking to draw us back into darkness as we seek to live for Jesus today. And I want us to hear the urgency in our text, It says that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. And yet, did you notice condemnation is a reality? Condemnation comes as a result of not believing in the son. Right? Verse 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's only son. Friends, we need to hear this urgency and respond. God loves the world, but the world loved darkness and that darkness blinds us, it distorts our desires and then the world affirms it all and says, you know, that's completely normal. 
It's what it means to be human. That's the way to live. You do you. Just keep it consensual. So how do we get out? How do we get out of the darkness? Well, if darkness is a deprivation of light, then the answer is obvious, right? We need light. We need someone to turn the light back on. Salvation does not come from within us. It doesn't come from that inward journey into the authentic self. It actually comes from inside of us. Verse 19 says, light has come into the world. It has come into the world. And then later in John's gospel, in chapter eight, Jesus makes this profound statement about who he is. He says, I am the light of the world. Isn't that profound? So there's this good news as we're evaluating and and talking about the brokenness of the way of the world. That's not the only way. And I think that's one of the traps that the world sets for us. It's almost as if this way, our way, the way of darkness is the only way. You can't change. You're trapped in this thing. That's just what it means to be human. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. But there is another way. It's the way of Jesus. And here's the way of Jesus spelled out in our text. It says, so for, for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son. That's the way God is at work in the world. That's the way of Jesus in the world. It's the way of self-giving love. Self-giving love for the world that hasn't loved him. And this picture of the father sending his son to save the world, it's not a picture of a heartless father. Right? It's not a picture of a heartless father who just serves up his son because then he doesn't have any skin in the game. This text actually highlights the preciousness of the son to the father. He's his only begotten son. The son goes to the cross, but we actually need to see that the father also experiences the cross. I love how Jürgen Moltmann puts it. He says, the father who abandons him and delivers him up suffers the death of the son in the infinite grief of love. The father suffers the death of the son in the infinite grief of love. And so the cross isn't just something that is limited to Jesus, yet it has this particular focus in Jesus as the son of God who goes to the cross, but the cross is experienced by the father, the son, and the spirit. That's the extent to which God loved the world. That's how far God went to save the world. The father gave the son and the son gave himself. And and that's actually the way of Jesus in the world, self-giving love for the salvation and healing of the world. So, first thing I want us to notice about the way of Jesus is that there is an invitation to enter. There's an invitation to respond. If you haven't believed in Jesus yet, if you haven't taken that invitation to to get in his way, um, the text says whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's whoever believes, and really it's whoever is believing and keeps on believing because it's a present tense verb, which in the language of the Bible means a continuous action. It's not just a one-time thing I believed and now I'm good. It's you continue in belief. So let's talk about belief. What, what does belief mean for you if you're thinking about entering the way or if you're already entered the way and you just need a bit of a reminder? Believing does not just mean having a thought about Jesus. It's about putting your basic life trust in him. 
It's about putting your basic life trust in him. One of my favorite Bible commentators says it this way. He says, belief in John's gospel isn't just belief that, though it is also definitely this. It's even more trust into a living person. Belief is trust into a living person. It is a participation and entrance into a living person. And believing in Jesus, yes, of course, we believe things about him. We believe he lived and died and rose again, but even more, it's, it's taking the plunge into him. It's like jumping into a lake. Believing in Jesus means Jesus becomes the way, he becomes the goal and the resting place of your life. And the way of Jesus is a new kind of living, a new way of living in the light and in the truth of God. So as you're wondering, how do I enter the way? Well, who is the way for? It's for whoever. The text says whoever believes in him. Right? There might be some serious darkness in your life. There might be some things that you've done or things that have been done to you. Or maybe things that you've been a part of and you think, yeah, God is going to see that and he's totally going to leave me out. He's totally going to reject me over that thing. The word of God says whoever, friends, that is such good news. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And I want to invite you today to hear those words as spoken directly to you as an invitation into the grace and mercy of God. It's not our goodness that qualifies us or makes us worthy of the gift of God. See, the basis of our acceptance into God's love and salvation, it's not like the good things you do. It's Christ himself. It's the fact that he gave his life for our life. He's the reason any of us can enter the kingdom. We enter the kingdom through faith, through belief, through our trust in Jesus, not our merit. And so what about the rest of us, right? A lot of us sitting here in the pews, we're sitting in the pews for a reason. We've been believers for a long time. We're like, yes, I believe in, I've believed in Jesus. I've made my entrance into his kingdom. What about me? Well, the call today is not just about entering the way, it's about living the way. That as a creative minority for Jesus, we live in Jesus' way. So we know the goal, we know the end, right? God is gonna save the world, Jesus is gonna come back and he's finally gonna set everything right. So how do we live in the way of Jesus now? It's here in the text, God so loved the world. It's love, right? God calls us to love him and love our neighbor to show the world what he's like. So the world has all kinds of ways of getting people to join a movement or a cause, right? Um, some of you here work for Quest Trade and I find their ads are very appealing to us millennials. They're, they're neat, they're put together, they're beautiful, right? The world wants to make something beautiful. They wanna make it relevant, they wanna make it powerful, make it amazing, pitch the promise of a blessed and prosperous life. If you join the cause, if you buy the product, right? There are all kinds of strategies out in the world to get instant growth, to get a following, but the way of Jesus is so different. And you've probably noticed that as you've read through the Gospels, that the way of Jesus is deeper and wider because the way of Jesus isn't all these strategies. The way of Jesus is the love of God manifested and lived out for the world. Love. Friends, it's love. 
Love is what we're called to live in and out of as a creative minority for Jesus. And love has forever been stamped by the cross. In 1 John 3.16, the other 3.16 that we're gonna look at today, it says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love is. As you live in the world and as all these definitions and ideas of love come at you, we as followers of Jesus need to always see love through the lens of Jesus' cross because that's how we know what love is. And the bottom line is that the cross is essential not only for us to enter into the way of Jesus, but also to live in the way of Jesus. In Mark chapter eight, verse 34, Jesus is speaking to a large crowd of people. They're amazed, right? He's doing cool stuff. He's teaching with authority. But then at the end of his teaching, he says this, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now the cross for any first century listener, especially in the Jewish world, the cross was Rome's instrument of crucifying anyone who stood in opposition to them. It was their instrument of death. And so can you imagine this, these, this crowd of people who have been amazed by Jesus hearing these words and going, what does that mean? I've got to deny myself. I've got to pick up a cross. I don't want to do that. But Jesus wasn't vague about this, right? He wasn't vague about what is entailed in following him. Deny yourself, pick up your cross. That's how we follow. That's the character of Daniel's life as he lived in Babylon and loved his enemies. That was the character of Esther's life as she lived in Persia and loved her enemies and did what she needed to do to be faithful to God. That's how we follow. We deny ourselves. We take up our cross and we go where Jesus leads. And in order to say yes to Jesus, we need to grow the capacity to say no to our disordered desires. We need to grow in our capacity to recognize the lies of the evil one. We need to grow in our capacity to recognize how the world has normalized sin and turn away from it. You see, we can't control the fact that the devil is a liar. We cannot control the fact that the world has normalized sin, but we can shut the door of those, to those powers in our own life. We can put our disordered desires to death. We can deny ourselves by the power of the cross. And then the lies have nothing to grab on to in your life. Here's how Eugene Peterson put it. He said, I cannot follow Jesus any which way I like. My following must be consonant with his leading. I want to develop discernments that say an unapologetic no to ways that violate the gospel of Jesus Christ. In saying yes to Jesus, we're also saying no to every other way, every other thing that violates the gospel. So one of my questions for you today is, what do you need to say no to? What do you need to say no to as Jesus invites you maybe to enter into his way or to keep living in his way? You see, his mission was to give his life so that the world would know the Father and be saved. And our mission as his disciples 
is to give our lives so that the world would know Jesus and be saved. As the teacher did, so the apprentices must do and do in his way that we may not violate his gospel, that we may do it in his power with deep roots, drawing on the resources of his presence, his truth, his love, his grace, coursing through our own lives, supplying our every need with what we need, even in circumstances where we feel like, I cannot do this, I cannot give anymore, I cannot do another day of this. Draw on the resources you have in Christ to equip you for the task at hand. And the irony of this, the irony of the way of Jesus is that in giving our lives for Jesus, we find our life. And that if we were trying to grab hold of security or wealth or power or beauty and in a sense save our lives, we actually end up losing it. This is what Jesus teaches. He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will find it. Friends, have we lost our lives for Christ? Are we willing to follow him in the way of the cross? I want to just put out a few next steps for you. Maybe you've entered into the way of Jesus today. That's amazing, but please let us know. You can fill out that Connect card online, and it's not too late to join the baptism class. I'd I'd love to talk to you and see you. But maybe you've been attending Sunday worship for a while, and, and maybe you're ready to join others in a small group. Maybe you've been part of this church for many years, and you've done various other ministries, but you've never really connected into a small group. I would invite you to do that. Our small groups are about walking in the way of Jesus together because we can't do it alone. We need the support, we need the love, we need the prayers of our brothers and sisters. You and I were made for connection with God and one another and we've got lots of groups that are just wide open to welcoming newcomers and we want to start new groups this fall. So what's your next step? Let's not leave here today without making some kind of next step. A good next step for all of us right now is to continue in worship. Let's worship the one who gave himself for us that we might have abundant and eternal life. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.